Uh, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Herrick. I'm one of the pastors here of Restored Church along with Tom. Uh, Tom is gone this week. You might have noticed he's not with us. He is uh, in New York City. He, was, um, he got this amazing opportunity to go to, to New York to be a part of a church planning accelerator with just a few people from around the whole world. I think 12 people were accepted into this program. And one of them was Brian Barnes, which is crazy. Some of you guys know Brian Barnes. He came here and visited us last year. He's someone that we love and know dearly, so the odds of that, I don't know what they are, probably small, but he got a chance to go to New York City. He's going to be back with us next week. I think he flies back in tomorrow. Hi, Tom. I'll miss you. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors. I think I've got my shirt tucked in. There we go. Um, so if you're new, we have been uh, in a series called Jesus Is going through the Gospel of John. It's been a remarkable look at the life of Jesus from the perspective of, some of his, one of his best friends. And uh, today, we're actually going to take a pause from that series. And uh, I just kind of felt led, kind of put on my heart to talk about a different uh, topic today, which is spiritual warfare. So, what do you think of when you hear the phrase spiritual warfare? What do you think about Growing up for me, spiritual warfare was, when I thought of spiritual warfare, I thought about uh, fruit flying across a room uh, without anybody touching it. I thought of pieces of furniture levitating off the ground, Uh, a young priest and an old priest basically going to war with crucifixes, with holy water, with rites, with rituals. Basically, I had The Exorcist, the movie, that script in my head when I thought of spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare for me, to whatever like minimal degree it could have existed or did exist, it would be visible, noticeable, obvious. You couldn't miss it. It'd be a standoff with evil forces that you treat kind of the same way that you would treat a bear. Like you'd get big and make a bunch of noise, or you roll over and play dead, or you just run the other direction. Like for me, any of those options would be great uh, when facing spiritual warfare. Uh, for really, it was kind of like an uncomfortable reality that I didn't like thinking about. I didn't like thinking about spiritual warfare. Uh, really, I didn't think about it a whole lot outside of like maybe this month, October, horror flicks, especially the supernatural variety. That's typically what I think of spiritual warfare, and that was about it. And then, um, then I went to college, and I met some friends, and I heard about Jesus for the first time. And, uh, and it wasn't the Jesus I grew up with, not like the Jesus, the moral teacher, Uh, Jesus, the religious symbol, Jesus, the great example. It was more than that. It was Jesus, this risen king who was calling all people to himself, including me. And unbeknownst to me, I entered into a battle. I felt drawn to Jesus in ways that I just couldn't deny. He He was engaging. He was captivating to me. Um, And at the same time, there was this reality that I also was getting pulled away from Jesus all the time, just constantly kind of pulled into the darkness. Uh, I recently read something that I think captured the essence of my life at that time, so that was so profound. I wanted to join God's community, but I also wanted to hold on to my autonomy from God's authority. That's where I was at in my life. And here's the thing, unbeknownst to me, I was in the middle of a raging war. And I didn't even know it. The spiritual war was no less real. It was no less important. 
it was no less serious than the cases of demonization I would see on TV, on the Discovery Channel, on The Exorcist, Halloween movies, or whatever. But I was totally unaware of it because it seemed so normal. It was just normal stuff. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night speaking another language, uh, like you could see in certain movies. Uh, Gravity did its job. All my fruit stayed in place. All my furniture stayed in place, for the most part. We have an example of the time my furniture did not stay in place. I may share it later. Um, I didn't walk upstairs like a tarantula, backwards on all fours, like Linda Blair. Um, Basically, I was simply just struggling with what it meant to follow Jesus. Could I trust him with my life? Was he good? Was he worth changing for? Was he worth me doing hard things like openly following him in college, which was hard? It might mean that I'd lose face in front of my peers. It might mean to me that I might lose my girlfriend at the time. It might mean being rejected by my family. That's the level of spiritual warfare that I was facing. And I've come to realize that spiritual warfare happens pretty much all the time at that level. We don't see the big, overt, flashy stuff hardly ever. We do see it sometimes, not denying that. But most of the time, it's just kind of an everyday life, just normal. I think that's the main way we experience it. And even though in the New Testament, if you read it, you're going to find Jesus doing battle. Like he is going to meet, he's going to meet demons. And he's going he's gonna to cast them out. You see Jesus doing that. We see some of his earliest disciples doing that. You see the Apostle Paul doing that in Acts. So it's, that is a part of it. But as you keep going through the New Testament, as you keep reading, you keep like making your way over to the letters especially, letters that are kind of written to this new, forming, young church. Spiritual warfare, like the main emphasis of it is more like this, following Jesus and experiencing opposition to that. Not in overt ways, but in covert, is that the word? Covert ways, ways you can't necessarily see. And why does this matter to you and me today? And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I want to ask you guys a question. Seriously, think about this for a second. Would you ever walk around an active war zone, Afghanistan, Syria? Would you ever walk around there with your head in your phone, scrolling through Instagram, wondering how many likes you have? No. Why not? It's a good way to get shot. It's a good way to die. Sorry, it's a little dramatic, but it's true. Nobody would do that. It's stupid. Nobody would do it. And yet we are in a spiritual war all the time, and we're totally unaware because it's subtle. There are bullets flying all around us that we don't see. We don't see them for what they are. We're left exposed to get shot at. Sometimes we get captured by the enemy. In some cases, we can become weaponized at the hands of the enemy and start shooting our own people, a type of spiritual friendly fire that destroys the church the unity and the love in God's family. And we're just not aware. But here's the good news. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay unaware. Today we're going to look at, we're going to kind of take a fresh look at what normal spiritual warfare is and how we can respond to it well. So first question, what is spiritual warfare? What is spiritual warfare? I actually had a, Relatively hard time finding a definition, which is weird. Everybody kind of talked about what it looked like, but a very few explanations of what it actually is. And so my simple definitions for spiritual warfare, if you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. I think spiritual warfare happens whenever we face obstacles to following the way of Jesus. 
Spiritual warfare happens whenever we face obstacles to following the way of Jesus. So we see this in a striking way in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. So I'm going to like quickly run through it because we haven't been in the letter to the Ephesians. But basically, it's a breathtaking letter. And Paul tells us that God is creating a new humanity through the person and work of Jesus. He says things like this. You were dead in your sin, but God in his mercy made you alive. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God to you. It's not based on your works, but God has saved you for a life of good works. Okay, this is, um, if you, how many Les Mis fans are there in the house? There's a few. So Les Mis, incredible movie. It's about this man. His name is Jean Valjean. Very famous uh, movie. And basically he, he lives, this is a man who lives in a very broken unfair, unjust world, and he has done bad things. He's stolen stuff, and in any case, he has responded to the brokenness of his life by basically becoming self-protective, and so he got caught one day stealing like a bunch of, uh, I think it was like, he got caught stealing bread, and then he also got caught stealing other things, candlesticks, kind of like valuables, and this priest basically let him go. He set him free. He was forgiven. He was set free. And John Valjean was then set free to live a life of sacrifice and love for other people. But it wasn't just like a personal restoration for him. It affected other people. He gave his life to serving others. So we're kind of like a community of Jean Valjeans. We're like learning what it means to be free and use our freedom for other people, not for ourselves. But here's the thing, it's not, it's not just a personal restoration just for us. God is unifying this new humanity together who have one thing in common, Jesus. And so this is a family that's now all about love and unity. If you, look, if you read Ephesians, you'll see that. Just hold those two themes and then read Ephesians, you'll see love and unity all the time. Love, unity, love, unity, love, unity. And so imagine what happens if, if a family gives themselves to this. The world would be impacted and changed as people see this love and this unity, right? But there's more. If you read Ephesians, it's not just about God's human family. There are also supernatural beings that God has created. It's pretty crazy. Ephesians 3.9. These supernatural beings that God created actually care about what's happening here in the church. Ephesians 3.9 says this, God's multifaceted wisdom may now, may now be made known through the church, through the people of God, to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Our love and unity has cosmic implications. God is showing, the, he's showing divine beings what he's like in a sense, these supernatural beings. And here's the thing, there are these supernatural beings that worship God, that love him, that serve him, we know this just from reading the Bible in general. And then we've also got these supernatural beings who have fallen, who are rebelling against God, who are trying to thwart God's plans. And so, believe it or not, that is the backdrop of Ephesians. That's what's going on in the background. So when you get into, there's some really famous passages, Ephesians 4, 5, and half of 6. Paul shares just tons of rich, practical wisdom on how to be loving and united as followers of Jesus. And that's the backdrop for when you get to the spiritual warfare, this really famous, uh, these really famous words that we're going to read in a second. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. 
This is the main kind of main passage for today. Spiritual warfare takes place when we face obstacles to our love and unity. Here's what Paul says about this. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with a readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. We are called to take arms and fight spiritually. You have the right to stand your ground when the kingdom of darkness tries to take ground, starts shooting at you. And we should expect shots to come. We should expect it. I've seen this in a variety of ways in my own life. I remember once I was... I was uh, doing something I had never done before. This was a Tuesday night. My gospel community at the time was meeting up and I had written down everybody's name and I was going through praying for every person one by one, listening on their behalf. It was like, God, what's on your heart for this person? What's on your heart for this person? And it was amazing. When I got half, about halfway through, my phone starts blowing up and it's from a number I don't know and it's pictures of a girl with her shirt lifted up. And it's basically like, it was an enticement to look at explicit pictures. I don't know whose number it was. They never contacted me again, but it came halfway through this time of interceding for my community. Don't know how it happened. It was awkward. I was like, what do I, do? I don't even know what to do with this. Uh, other stuff has happened that's been a little bit less overt. Uh, when we moved to Temecula, our house got egged, like the day that we walked in, like there was, it was waiting for us. Our house got egged. Uh, also, in North Park, that same day, somebody decided to relieve themselves on our porch in North Park because we were bringing our stuff from North Park to uh, Temecula to help with this gospel work. It was kind of like a, thanks for being here, see you later from North Park, and welcome to the neighborhood from Temecula. <laughs> I've seen stuff like that happen before. Uh, and just, there's also been just more basic stuff. Like this week, I was walking into our, uh, I was walking up Scott Deal's driveway to our Intro to Gospel Community meeting. I love this Intro to Gospel Community, but I just couldn't help this feeling of like, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Like just this resistance. Why? And then I asked myself, like, why? These people are amazing. You guys have, we have fun together. We talk about Jesus. We go deep. It's been an incredible time in community. Why do I not want to come? It's like this, this resistance. Prepping for this message, this week was a whirlwind. I asked our intro group to pray because I could not stop giving into distractions and I didn't want to pray. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're just like, I should pray, I don't want to. I should pray, I don't want to. Mm-mm. I'm preaching on spiritual warfare. 
Like Paul literally says, like, pray, don't stop, pray at all times. Just this constant opposition, these obstacles. And I could go on. Stuff like that happens all the time. And I'm sure that if, we, if I handed the mic around the room, you guys could probably all tell stories of similar things that happen. We know this is real. When we want to follow Jesus, there are obstacles. And so I want to ask a question, like, why is there spiritual warfare? I think it's actually surprisingly simple. The enemy is seeking to bring the gospel to a halt. The enemy is seeking to bring the gospel to a halt. This, this story of God's unifying a people in love around Jesus Christ, the enemy hates that story, wants to bring it to a halt. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. Take a listen to these words. You've probably heard, some of you have probably heard them before. But think about this idea of how spiritual warfare is the enemy putting obstacles in our way to following Jesus. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27 says this. Therefore, put away lying. If you want to be unified people, putting away lying is a good idea. Lying kind of erodes trust. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members one of another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27. Don't give the devil an opportunity. The devil is looking for opportunities to come in and infiltrate this work, to undermine our unity, to undermine our love. He's kind of like a jealous ex-girlfriend or boyfriend trying to torment you. Kind of like you belong to another person now, and he hates it. And so he's just looking for an opportunity to mess up this new relationship that you have with Jesus. That's what the devil's like. Revelation 2, verses 8 and 10. These are the words of Jesus to the early church in Smyrna. He says this, Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison and test you. And you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's kind of like the devil's like, do you really love Jesus? What if I put you through some undeserved suffering? Do you really love him now? Does Jesus really love you if he doesn't let you out of it? After all, you don't deserve to suffer. He causes chaos and then says, God did it. Or, God, he's not doing anything about it. In many ways, Satan is like President Snow in The Hunger Games. Who's watched that, those movies? Anybody? A handful, okay. He's an evil oppressor. He wants to squash all resistance to his rule. And he'll use suffering. He'll use psychology. He'll use half-truths. He'll use disinformation. He'll use anything that he can get people to live in fear and turn on each other. All the while, they're not aware that he's trying to control them. It's, it's wild. Because he hates the gospel. And the gospel's compelling. It's beautiful. Uh, I was recently in Puerto Rico, and um, it's where I was born, it's where I'm from. And um, I took this little eight-seat Cessna from one side of the island to the other. And it was a little nerve-wracking. Uh, I'm not going to lie, there was only one pilot, so... If, uh, if he had issues, we were going to go down. But in any case, we got in the plane. He fires up the engines, and he just starts going. I think he did like a four-second safety demo. He's like, here's a fire extinguisher. We're going. That's basically what he did. And uh, 
And it was, it was amazing. Like he, he taxis to the runway in San Juan and then he just puts the throttle in and then just we take off and we start soaring. And the crazy part is Puerto Rico, if you just look on the ground, it's kind of a mess. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a ton of issues with infrastructure, with poverty, all kinds of stuff. But once you get up into the air, when you're like eight, nine, 10,000 feet above, it's incredible. The views, the vistas, the, the endless shoreline, the white sand beaches, I mean, it is, it became an adventure. And I think a lot of times, the enemy doesn't, he wants us to stay on the ground and not see the heights, the beauty of the gospel. And we're just down here. And he'll use whatever, distraction, whatever he can do. Again, he wants to bring the gospel to a halt. And he's effective at it. He's really good at it. He's had thousands of years of practice. He's been at this for a long time. Uh, I got her an email recently that was so encouraging until the end of it. I got an email, if some of you guys may know, we, um, last year, we took a collection amongst the restored family of churches. If you're new, we're part of a family of churches. Restored Temecula is one of four, and hopefully there will be many more. And uh, we took a collection for a church plant in North Africa. You might remember that. And we helped raise, as a family of churches, like over $100,000 to get this new work started. It's in a country that has millions of people and all of about 500 Christians. Millions of people, 500 Christians. About a third of that number actually gathers on a Sunday. So believe it or not, you're sitting in this room right now. This plus our kids would be like the entire country's gathered church. So we sent them there. I mean, it wasn't our idea. Like God sent them there. We supported them. And we, we were encouraging them to do this, right? So I got an email from this couple, and it was so encouraging. The email basically talked about how their marriage is strong. Their relationships are forming in that area. They had to learn a new language. They're, like, learning the language. Language classes are going well. Um, they had, like, a really kind of unfortunate situation where they couldn't bring, like, their piano in or their keyboard into the country, which is kind of a big deal because one of them's a musician. So it, it was a major bummer, and they, they were able to get a piano. So it's like all this great stuff is happening. And then they, they ended the, the message and just said, oh, yeah, could you please pray? Um, the other church leaders in this area are in conflict, and there might need to be some confrontation. Would you please pray for reconciliation and peace? And it hit me, like, there it is. Unity and love under attack in a fledgling church that's just trying to get going. And we'd be silly to think that that won't happen here. It will. It has. And it will continue to happen. Satan is seeking to bring the gospel to a halt in this community, not just here, but not, not excluding us here. So with that said, I want to talk about what the battlegrounds of spiritual warfare are that we're most likely to miss. What are the battlegrounds of spiritual warfare that we're most likely to miss? I don't think we're going to have a hard time seeing the supernatural stuff. Furniture starts flying, it gets your attention. That happened to us uh, when we got married in 2012. Long story short, we get back from our honeymoon. We're super excited to start married life together. We jumped into Restored Uptown, which was the first restored church plant, and we're a part of kind of the launch team. 
at that time. And one night we're sleeping comfortably and we're awakened by a loud crashing sound. And we turn the lights on, we're like, what the heck happened? Did something fall? It sounds like somebody like drop kicked someone in our, living, in, our, in our tiny bedroom that we had back then. And we just look down and there's, we had like an Ikea dresser drawer and the bottom left drawer was out of its place and in the, kind of like in the middle of the bedroom. And I'm trained, I was, at the time I was a research analyst for a law firm. I'm trained on, I'm also like have like an investigative background. I'm kind of trained on like, okay, what, what could have happened here? What are the different possibilities? And it's like, okay, it wasn't the dog. Um, there's no one here <laughs> that we can see. Basically, I was like stumped. I was like, there are no options. Some force did this. Ripped out and slammed like an angry teenager. Like, wah! Just slammed a piece of furniture. We had furniture go flying. It's hard to miss that kind of stuff. It also happens maybe once in your life. So while it's important, nobody's going to really miss that. We started fighting. We asked for help. We asked pastors to come. Tom Lug came. Andy came. We took care of it. It was fine. It took a few days, and it was totally fine. We went back to normal. We didn't have that kind of issue happen. Our furniture has stayed in place ever since. Not hard to miss that one. It's also not hard to miss, um, like, the mass repression of Christians around the world. It's, like, pretty easy to see that one. Like, for example, right now in China, just kind of looking this up, I read an article about how the Chinese government is forcing churches to close it's sending Christians to labor camps. It's handing down like lengthy prison sentences to pastors who are simply pastoring their flocks. It's happening in our world today. There's actually regulation in place that bans minors from entering churches and forbids Sunday schools and Bible camps. Pretty easy to see. There's resistance to the gospel. Let's pray. Not hard to see that one. However, I think... What's probably most important for us is to remember that every day we face things that are warfare. We just don't see it. So I want to share four like quick battlegrounds of spiritual warfare that I think we're likely to miss. Just kind of thought about our church and prayed on these. So I'm, I'm hoping that you can at least take one of these away for yourself. And one of these will be like, yes, this makes sense to me. So here we go. Number one, these are not in any particular order of importance. But number one, politics. Politics. Few things challenge our love and unity like politics. I just want to say right off the top of the bat, I am not advocating for Christians withdrawing from politics. We may need to challenge unjust laws in the land. There are Christians who are called by God to seek political office and to bring influence into those spheres, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I think a lot of times with politics, it goes way beyond challenging injustice and serving the public. And it moves into the space of like seeking prominence and power and platform. And I was listening to, you, a lot of you guys have, if you've been with us for a while, you've heard us talk about the Bible Project. It's a, it's a resource that's used, we use it in conjunction with our CBR, with our Bible reading. It just kind of helps explain what the Bible's about. And Tim Mackey is one of the guys that, host the Bible Project, and he's a PhD. He's a really brilliant dude. And he was kind of walking through Ephesians 6, 
And he had this insight that I would have never, I would have never connected the dots. He basically said that politics is within the crosshairs of what Paul is talking about. If at any point as Christians we elevate politics above unity, that's spiritual evil. And there are spiritual forces working to rip us apart around politics. And if you just stop and think about it, it's like, well, what's the fruit of it? It tends to divide. We become tribal. And all the while, God is seeking to unify a new humanity around Jesus. I remember once, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, whatever, we're going there. We need it. We need to be honest. I remember once hearing Christians calling a certain political candidate the Antichrist. Every human candidate is flawed. But this is going way beyond that. This is calling them evil. And now it's like, oh, you voted for the Antichrist? How divisive is that? No, dude, like, I just thought he had better ideas, strategies. I'm not, I don't want to cast my vote for Satan, bro. Can you back off? Politics would be so divisive. And I'm not saying that you can't hold political convictions. Not saying that at all. You can. The question is, do you hold your political convictions in a way that promotes love and unity? with those who have different convictions than you do? Or does it create like an insiders and outsiders, us versus them kind of mentality? If so, again, not going to like hearing this, but it's important for us to know what the schemes of the devil are. You are in the crosshairs of spiritual evil that wants to slice up and divide the body of Christ. That Jesus died to what? Unify around him. So politics Number one, maybe the number one, I don't know. Certainly a top four in my book. Battleground of spiritual warfare that we just don't even realize. So it's a warfare. Okay, second one is marriage. Second one is marriage. Uh, I want to see off the top of the bat, off the top of the bat, um, not everybody here is married. Is married, um, And that does not mean, if you're not married, it does not mean that you are not in a war. You are. Jesus and Paul were single. I don't know anybody that was more oppressed than those two dudes. So marriage isn't like this thing that, it's, it is, it's fine. Marriage is good. It's a good thing. Singleness, in some cases, is preferable, believe it or not. It's got to be said from the front, because that's what the Bible says. Singleness is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. With that said, marriages, I believe, have a unique type of attack. Singles have a bullseye on them. Marrieds do too. Just different kinds. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 23. These are very famous words. Keep in mind the context here. This is right before this talk about spiritual warfare. Give you a hint. This is a battleground. Number, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle 
or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus wants you dressed in white. All of us. Husbands, that should be our same desire. To see our girls spotless in holiness. That's what Jesus died for. And he's entrusting our wives to us for a little while to help them walk that out. He did, this to present himself in, to the, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Christ and the church. What are we also talking about? Marriage. You see this? It's like, he's like going in and out. What are we talking about? I'm not even sure. It's marriage, but I think it's like marriage in the eternal sense, that we are Christ's bride. And he's talking to husbands and wives. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Marriage <laughs> is all about cultivating a love and a unity that mirrors and reflects Jesus' love for us and our response to him. So of course marriage would be a big bullseye. It's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. So here's some things I've been thinking about and chewing on for myself, uh, I really think it's in the small things that were attacked in marriage. I'm going to get real deep granular here and petty. My wife asked me for a cup of water this week. Inwardly, I was like, you have two legs. <laughs> Seriously, petty and ugly. Who here hasn't had that thought, though? Warfare. Did you ever think about it, that as warfare? As a flaming arrow <laughs> to battle? <laughs> Bring me a cup of water. Mm-mm. <laughs> hell no. Oh, wait a minute. That is hell coming, yeah, after me. Another one. Honey, can you get the leak checked out on the cars? I'm busy later, which turns into never. I'm sorry. I'm taking it in tomorrow. Am I actually going to listen to my wife? Am I going to stop and pray for her when she's hurting? Or is she getting in my way? What's most important in my life? Am I going to gently point out patterns in her life that I see that concern me? Flip side, am I going to receive the gentle correction that I need? I was reading something today that blew my mind. That I, I don't have time to get into it, but basically one of the main reasons why we have so many guys that don't want to get married is that they don't want to be changed. I want somebody that will accept me but won't ask me to change. That's literally one of the things that's going on in our culture. And here's the thing. I'm tempted to look down on that, but I'm like, dude, think about how you reacted to a cup of water. You don't want to be a servant. This is me talking to myself. Like, you don't want to serve. You don't want to be changed. 
I need my wife. I need her gentle correction. Another question, am I going to stay hurt and angry or am I going to attempt to work it out? We're going to love our spouses as Christ loved us. That's for the men. And for the ladies, for wives, like, will you respect and honor your husbands? Your husbands need you. They need your honesty. They need your grace. Will you speak honestly in a way that your husband can receive? Here's what I've learned in my household growing up. Truth without grace leads to rebellion. It's, it leads to people shutting down. It leads to proud defiance, heavy-handed. You give me your truth, I'll respond by tuning you out. And you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing changes. At the same time, grace without truth leads to sin never being confronted. And it just continues on. Wives, like ladies, we need you. We need your grace. We need your truth. As spouses, do we have each other's backs? Do our marriages embody love and unity? Or is Satan infiltrated and brought distance, coldness? I was thinking about this. This is sobering. Is your marriage an active war zone? Or is it a cold war of threats, of hostility, of tension, of self-serving propaganda that puts other people down? Or is it really like a loving union that looks like Jesus? Here's the good news. It can become that. God gives us the gift of the gospel. The gospel is, this is why Satan opposes the gospel, because the gospel is what leads to freedom. The gospel is what leads to joy. The gospel is what actually helps us overcome sin. The gospel is what actually helps us become new people. It's a big deal. I thought this was profound. F.F. Bruce, he's a biblical commentator. He says, one of the devil's schemes has already been mentioned in this letter of Ephesians. It's his readiness to exploit strained relationships and angry feelings between believers so as to damage their personal or corporate welfare and witness. But the good news is to be forewarned about this is to be forearmed. Get your guns. We're fighting or whatever. I don't know. I'm, not a, I'm like the last. I'm not a good whatever. <laughs> it's fine. I love Temecula. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm being challenged on a lot, in a lot of ways for my urban mindset. <clears throat> about certain things, like guns. So, with that said, with that said, seriously, is Satan exploiting anger in your marriage? Does he have a field day? It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus died to set you free. So I think the number two battleground, the second one I wanted to cover was marriage. Number three, we've got to speed this up. Parenting, parenting. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may well go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Last summer, I went through the darkest period of my life as a dad, my darkest moment as a, as a father. Um, it was... A weekend, it was like kind of a stressful weekend, like my sister-in-law was getting married, and so, and our kids were in the wedding. If you've ever had kids in a wedding before, and they're under, you know, 20, you'll know it's, you know what that's like? 
Um, and so it was like that. It was rough. And I was sick. I think the kids were sick. So I already felt like kind of, um, what's the word? On edge. Thank you. Uh, and that weekend, every little thing set me off. Everything. I was harsh. I was angry. I had zero grace for our children. Do you remember this weekend? You might remember it. You do, yeah. <laughs> Good. See, this is why I need my wife. And it was, it was ugly. I honestly felt, I feel like it was, it was really bad. I wasn't representing to my children what God is like. And I actually fell down the stairs not once but twice that weekend. I fell down the stairs. It's not funny. It hurt. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just messing with you, Mark. Just putting you on blast. It's kind of funny now. I had these, like, sweatpants. They were just too long. But I fell down twice. And here's the thing. I felt the, G- this, the Holy Spirit gently say, it's ill-fitting of you. The way you're behaving is ill-fitting. And when you wear ill-fitting clothing, you fall. In the natural and in the spiritual. Ephesians 4, 22 to 27. Take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the, spirits of your, the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self. Put on new clothes that fit. The one created according to the likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. That's one that's like Jesus. And then it goes into... Don't be angry. Give the devil a foothold. You'll fall down the stairs twice. You know what I mean. I mean, here's the reality that I was missing. Ephesians 5, 1 to, 1 to 2. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. I was forgetting that I am a, I'm by nature a rebel. I'm a wandering child myself. Who made, who's made God's life, my dad's life, hard. Not that it's hard, you know what I mean. I've inconvenienced him. And I had no grace for them, for my own children. I needed to be reminded of the gospel. And that's a reality. I held, if I don't remember that, I held kids, my kids to impossible standards. I forgot that they're kids just like me. And I discouraged them. And I pointed out their failures rather than covering them, helping them. I wasn't believing the gospel. There's also a reality on the flip side of this is kids, honor your parents. Kids are under attack too. Did you know that, children? You're under attack as well. The enemy wants you to rebel and disobey. God wants you to learn how to sit under the patient teaching and instruction of God. And parents, when we fail, what do we get to say? I'm sorry. Here's a terrifying question. When was the last time you apologized to your kids if you have children? I know I'm in a bad place when I can't remember. It doesn't have to be that way. We have a gospel. We have good news. Last one. My goodness, I'm sorry. I'm just going. This is a little bit of a different one. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I like prayed about this one. I'm just going to share it. Home. Home is the fourth kind of 
battleground that we're unaware of. And by that I mean, I have in mind like kind of family of origin stuff, the family you grew up with. I think it's possible for that to cloud everything in your life. If you had a bad experience, if you lived under emotional, physical, sexual abuse, I think it can, if it becomes bigger than Jesus, it can have this influence on you. It makes it so hard to see. And Satan, I was, we were at the um, aquarium yesterday in La Jolla, and I saw the nastiest thing I think I've ever seen, which was like a, like a Paris, it was like a little fish that like, it's so gross, it like sucks onto sharks and just like eats off of them. I think that's like a parasitic relationship. I don't, she's laughing because science is not my thing. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Is this making sense? Okay. And it got me thinking that like Satan's kind of like that. Like he just kind of feasts, feasts on our hurts. He becomes like a parasite. But here's what happens with parasites. They seriously harm you. They rob you of nutrients and you end up malnourished. And I think the same thing can happen when Satan just kind of attaches himself to the hurts in our lives and just keeps, keeps them going. They stunt our growth because we're spiritually malnourished. And I don't say this lightly because I think these things need to be dealt with. I'm not saying, like, push them under the rug. I'm saying it's, they have to be dealt with. But if they're not dealt with, it can lead to all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, for example, um, how many of you guys know about the protests in Hong Kong that are going on right now? Quite a few of you. If you're unfamiliar with what's going on, uh, there is a growing pushback against censorship, um, surveillance, and kind of high-tech authoritarianism in Hong Kong from the Chinese government. And it's really getting going now. That narrative is really getting going. And I recently read an article that said that Hong Kong protesters have now started to smash cameras around their city to bits. In the subway, cameras are frequently covered in now clear plastic wrapping in an attempt to kind of protect that bit of hardware. And in August, protesters actually pulled down a smart lamppost. You guys ever seen a smart lamppost before? Uh, basically out of fear. This, this, they're like uh, lampposts that are supposed to be more energy efficient. They're smart lampposts so that it's not on all the time. And I think it shoots out Wi-Fi signals. It does a lot of cool stuff. I don't know. I'm not a science or tech and not my things. Um, but here's the reason why they, they tore it down is because they were responding not to the realities on the ground but the fears of what could happen because of Beijing, the control that Beijing is exerting. Most likely, those smart lampposts were nothing more than smart lampposts. But because of that narrative that got going, they responded with violence and tore something down. And I think we could do the same thing and we're reminded of things from our past, and we can react that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I think Jesus is offering us freedom in the gospel. So how do we fight? This is the last thing. How do we fight? We put on Christ. We obey him. Obedience is a weapon in this war, believe it or not. Jesus has already won the war. Colossians 2.15, 13 to 15, real clear. I'll just make it quick. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly on the cross. He triumphed over them. Satan's a defeated enemy. 
The best illustration I've heard about this is like, think like there was once like this huge snake in a house somewhere, I think, in India, and that snake was shot in the head. But it kept flailing for hours. It was done. It was functionally dead, but it kept thrashing about and making a mess of things, but its hours were, its time was ticking down. And Satan's the same way. Satan's a defeated enemy. We already know if you were to, if you wanted to read later in Revelation 20, he's going to be cast into a lake of fire. His time is coming to an end. But he wants to do as much mayhem and destruction as he possibly can until he's put away. So we have to fight him. We have to put on our armor. We have to fight. What does this look like? It's the last thing. If you guys, if the band wants to come up, let's go ahead and read this. For example, in politics, what does it look like to fight? I got a really encouraging email this week from this guy. His name is Ken Sandy, and he's a guy who teaches kind of rest, um, reconciliation principles all around the world based on the gospel. And he said this. He said, Washington, D.C. is an interesting place, to say the least. Politics, power, money, countless temptations, continual controversy, thousands of people whom God has graciously called to serve as salt and light in our nation's capital. He said, I was privileged to meet 50 of those people in the first morning of my recent D.C. trip. There were White House staffers who gathered every week in the Eisenhower office building to study the life of Jesus, discuss his word, and pray for our nation's leaders. One word kept coming to mind during our time together, hope. If God is assigning people like these to the highest offices in our land, there is hope that he will channel his wisdom and grace through them, just like he did Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, when they served in the palaces of old. That's spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. They prayed. They sought the welfare of the people in office. Imagine this, like what if Christians of a kind of Republican persuasion in California began to pray regularly for our governor, who's a Democrat? He's got some really hard things he's facing. He's tackling homelessness. Could there be like a harder thing to try to figure out in California? He's trying to tackle that right now. What if we use the news cycles to get ideas about what to pray for rather than get like worked up? What if Christians who are Democrats prayed for our representatives here in District 42 and 50 who are Republicans? What if, what if we prayed for the president who's facing really hard things, even if we think it's a self-inflicted wound, whatever you think about it? Because Why? Because Jesus doesn't relish at our misery, even if it's self-inflicted. He helps us. He prays for us. And we're called to imitate him in every area of life, every single one. What if Christians who are libertarians just prayed for everybody? Sorry, I'm a tough groom. <laughs> Side. I love you libertarians. What if we elevated unity above politics? What would that do to this world? What if Christians were no longer the, the, party of this, the people of this party, but the people of Jesus? Pretty cool, I think. Marriage. Uh, this is... These are all for me. What if husbands considered their wives when it comes time to make a big purchase, like a car? What if husbands considered if it was a good idea whether to take that promotion or not, to start that new hobby or not, or consider being home regularly for dinner or bedtime routines, or check in with his wife regularly to see how her heart is, pray for her, 
What if husband stayed home with the kids every once in a while so his wife could get a night out? What if we viewed every request to take out the trash, to bring the stuffed animals upstairs, to come home a little early to help as an opportunity to enter into the way of Jesus as a servant? Guys, what does that sound like? A little taste of heaven. And I could go on and on. I just don't have time. You guys, if you guys wouldn't mind standing with me. I want to close with a quick story. How do we fight? We fight through our obedience. We resist the devil. That's what the scripture says. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's what it actually says. But here's the thing. You might be here today, and for you, this might be totally overwhelming. You don't even know where to start. Maybe you like start, are like taking inventory of your life. You're like, dude, I feel like we're completely under attack. We're, we're caved in. Um, I thought about this story this week that was incredible. Um, you guys know, you know the famous... Uh, the 9-11. The towers coming down. Uh, what you might not know is that somebody actually escaped. The towers fell on someone and she was actually rescued. One lady, as far as I know, who made it. I think it was out of the second tower that went down. And I was listening to her tell her story this morning. And she was like coming down the stairs. She like bent down to tie her shoe or something. And then the building started collapsing on top of her. So she like heard all of that coming down on her. And she got like caught in an air pocket and like kind of sucked into a space where she survived. But everything was trapped. She was trapped for like 27 hours. And she spent her last moments, what she thought would be her last moments, crying out to God, asking him, rescue me, save me. I can't save myself. And after 27 hours, a hand, I got you. I'm here for you. Amid all of the devastation, destruction, and death, God is able to save people out of the worst circumstances imaginable. A building fell on her, a hundred-story building, and she lived. And this woman has dedicated her life to following the way of Jesus. She's now a Christian. She belongs to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, really well-known church over there. She's serving him. So I want to ask you a question. If you feel like just totally engulfed in the spiritual ladder, do you want rescue today? cry out to him. The Psalms, you can read the Psalms. The Psalms are a cry to God for rescue, for deliverance. That's spiritual warfare. Our obedience to him is warfare. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm just going to ask Jesus to help us figure out what he wants us to do today. Jesus, I pray for this um, time, this response time. I've gone long. I just pray that you would minister to us. Would you highlight areas of our life where we need that we need to, to own up to, where, where Satan might have a foothold. Satan might have a way of getting in and causing unity, disunity, and affecting our love for one another. God, there's so much at stake. The heavenly, the heavenly hosts are watching. And we get to point them to the gospel as we respond by faith and trust and obedience as we do warfare. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and I pray that you do amazing things in this response time. In your name we pray.